You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So you can open up over to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. We're going to look at, I hope, we're going to look at two passages this morning. The first one is beginning here in Hebrews chapter 11 again, and then uh, we're also going to go to a passage over in uh, Luke in a little bit here. Hopefully we get that far. So we've been talking for some time about this idea of being undeterred in life, living in faith. We, we uh, looked at some verses here in Hebrews chapter 11 a while ago over in verse 13 where it talked about the fact that All of these people, all these heroes of faith that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, they lived by faith. It says that they were guided and sustained by faith all the way through their life until they died. They never quit. They were never, the word deterred means to be turned aside, be driven off by something like uh, intimidation, fear, doubt, um, having, having something come into your life that turns you aside. And so we've been from your faith in God, right? So we've been talking about various aspects of this. And this morning, I want to talk to you about learning how to uh, handle, trying to think of a better terminology than this, uh, to appropriately handle your past, to appropriately view your past, to put it in the right framework so that it never turns you aside from pressing into the future in God. And so there in Hebrews chapter 11, if you turn to verse 15, this is a tremendous verse of scripture. It has, it it tells us it is such good wisdom about our lives. And what it says is, is, again, this is speaking. It says, if they had been thinking, who's they? They are the people that are described in this chapter. We call them the heroes of faith. They're Old Testament believers. And it says, if they had been thinking, I believe this is the Amplified Bible, right? With homesick remembrance of that country from which they were emigrants, they would have found constant opportunity to return to it. This is one of these principles that we, you know, heard and were taught early on that has saved us so much trouble uh, in life. And so we're going to break this verse down. We're going to look at what it says. So it talks about, it says, if they had been thinking with homesick remembrance. So uh, I'm going to tell you what that word thinking means, because it means a little more than just thinking. But, but there's, a, there's a context that the scripture gives us, a, a flavor uh, to the type of thinking that the Lord is worry, uh, warning us about in this scripture. It, it's a kind of it's a kind of thinking about our past where we begin to romanticize what went on in our past. We begin to put it in sort of a fantasy light, particularly as we come up against current challenges. We face things in life and we'll start to think, you know what? It was way better back then. And let me just, before I get too far ahead of myself, um, Remember this, because we've talked about this uh, in this in this study. It says, if they had been thinking with homesick remembrance of that country from which they were immigrants. Now, remember I said a few weeks ago that when we read in the Old Testament about the promised land and them coming into the promised land, 
uh, that those are those are things that really happen. Those are historical facts. Israel, the people that were descended from Abraham, who were in covenant with God through the Abrahamic covenant, those people were in captivity in Egypt for hundreds of years. And God came in and supernaturally delivered them out of Egypt. And you remember the stories. He took them across the Red Sea. He actually parted two bodies of water to bring them into the uh, into the promised land. He first parted the Red Sea to bring them into the wilderness and later parted the Jordan River to bring them into the promised land. And he spoke to them about this land. And Abraham actually went and walked around that land that God had promised to this people. It is a physical land. It is a historical truth that these things took place. However, as with much of the Old Testament, while it, what happened there is true, it also, in addition to it having happened historically, those things are types and foreshadowings of spiritual truths that we live in, in the new covenant. The promised land is a picture of your life in Christ, the salvation that we have in Christ that has been promised for ages and ages and ages and brought about by Jesus Christ. And so when this talks to us from a New Testament perspective, and by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, I don't remember the exact verse, talks about this. It says, Paul talks about the writings of the Old Testament. And he says, those things were written for our benefit. I'm paraphrasing. They're written for our benefit so that we can learn from them, so that we can see into those. We can see and draw these spiritual principles out of what happened in the Old Covenant. I just, as I say that, I want to make very clear, I'm not saying that anything that happened in the uh, or that those major events in the Old Testament, that those were allegory or parable or that they didn't really happen. I'm not saying that. They did happen. But, you know, much of the prophetic, everything that I can think of that is prophetic, occurs in real time in someone's life, but also speaks of something that will happen in the future. That's the nature of prophecy. It's not limited to one time frame. So I don't want to get off on all that. But so when we read here, if they had been thinking with homesick remembrance of that country from which they are emigrants, we need, from a New Testament perspective, to realize that for us, what does that mean? It means if, if I begin to think with a romanticized homesick remembrance of my life before Christ, my life before salvation, what that was like. And if I begin to romanticize that and think about that, because that is a life, this word emigrants means a person who has left their home country and, and moved permanently, and that's an important word in this definition, has moved permanently into a new country. And we have left our old life before Christ and moved permanently into salvation, into eternal life, into Christ himself. Does that make sense to you? So that's who we are, and that's what's going on in our life. And so when we think about this, and, and you say, oh, well, I would never think back on life before Christ. A lot of people do. A lot of people begin to develop this remembrance because they're facing challenges in Christ that we didn't face before we came to Christ. We do. We enter into a clash of kingdoms. We are light sent into darkness to dispel the darkness. We are in this earth to bring heaven and its kingdom 
to earth. I'm not talking about fighting with people here. I'm talking about spiritual clash of kingdoms. There are most of you, if you've been, well, the scripture says to us that if we are going to live a godly life in Christ, we will experience persecution. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. Okay, be of good cheer. If they, if they, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they listen to me and follow and, you know, listen to what I said, then they'll listen to you. Both of those things are going to go on. But you will have experiences if you're living, if you're, if you're, if you're living an active life with God, you're going to have experiences even, I'm not talking about when you go up and get in somebody's face and tell them they're living wrong. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about your very presence in a room where darkness is prevalent and has had dominion will cause sometimes an agitation in the spirit realm that will come out through people who are uh, still living in darkness. We've had people where, you know, and I think back, I'm getting way, way ahead of myself, but I think back, you know, I've told you before that one of the things the Lord brought me out of both alcohol and drugs, and, and I had a lot of friends that I partied with and things, but I mean, I had some people that were very close. I had one of Karen's brothers I've been friends with since I was 14 years old or something like that, 13, 14. And we were close. I mean, as we were adults, we lived together. We uh, worked together. We were very, he's one of the best lifelong friends I've ever had. And I still consider him that way um, because it's just one of those things that can't get undone, you know. But, but when God brought us to that point in our life and I, and I stopped partying and I stopped drinking even, there were times where we'd be like at maybe down at her parents' house in Albuquerque and for the holidays or something. I wasn't saying anything or even thinking anything about what they were doing. It was like, that's between you and God and it's none of my business. I didn't, I'm not here to speak to your alcohol use. I wasn't even thinking about it, but he would get pretty upset with me because I mean, he got upset with me for a long time because I no longer entered into that aspect. I wasn't, con I, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't condemning him. I wasn't talking about it. I wasn't saying that. I was just living differently. That's all I was doing. I was just living differently. That's it. And when that happens in your life and you begin to live differently because of what God does, some people aren't going to like it. And some people won't like it because they feel like you're condemning them, which you're probably not. If you are, stop it. It's really not our job. But, but you know, they just feel that. There's a spiritual element that goes on there. And so sometimes we'll think back on things like that. Well, I had some friends before I came to Christ that I don't have now. They don't like to hang out with me anymore. I, I had... Some, there are some points where it's like, we got to fight some spiritual battles that we didn't used to have to fight. And sometimes people will start to think back on a life that was so bad that they left it to come to Christ, and they'll start to romanticize it and say things were better back there. And if you do that, if you begin to take up that kind of thinking, you, the, the devil will make sure that you have opportunity to return to it. Is this making sense to you? So we need to keep our focus forward. We need to keep letting the Lord, we need to just stay excited and enthusiastic and in, in 
awe and wonder of what God is doing and where he's taking us. That's where our focus needs to be because that's always forward. God is always moving us forward. I mean, that, that is, he's always bringing us upward and forward. We, we, are, we live a life of growth in Jesus Christ. And so there's continuous change. And you will have to leave some things behind and adopt some other things. And we as human beings tend to, for whatever reason, this is just a human trait. We tend to think back on our past and remember the good things much more clearly than we remember the bad things. We just do it. I'll give you some examples of that in a few minutes. Let me give you a couple of definitions here. So it says, if they... what. Like baseball games on Sunday, yeah. I mean, I remember it was, life was perfect back then. Everybody was just going to church and excited about God. Yeah, that's how it was, right? Yeah, good job. Um, so if they had been thinking with homesick remembrance of that country from which they were immigrants, they would have found, I love that, constant opportunity to return to it. That word thinking means to continually call to mind. Okay, continually call to mind or get this, to carry something around in your thinking. I've done that. I still do that. Carry things around. You think you leave it in your prayer time at home and all of a sudden at 10 o'clock in the morning you realize it's back on your mind, right? You're carrying it around in your thinking. And, and what the, where this goes, you, you continually call this thing to mind and it's talking about your past life. And you begin to carry it around in your thinking. And usually the reason we do this is because we're facing some challenges now that are making us really uncomfortable. So we start to think back on these things. And, and then the next thing we do, and this is part of the definition of this Greek word that's translated thinking, it means to mention, to talk about, to carry on a habitual conversation about what you're remembering. So what happens? We've talked about this a hundred times. We start to think and think and think and think. And it gets in our heart and it starts to come out of our mouth. And it's, we start to talk about it. We start to have conversations with people. We start to strike up. Do you remember when? Remember when it was like this? Do you remember this or that? You know, and we start to have those conversations. And as we begin to do that, right, as we begin to speak things out of our mouth, that's the direction we go. It's, it's the way that we work. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. The, you know, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Scripture talks about this a lot. So this is a, this is a picture of a person thinking about the good old days, which probably weren't that good, you know, um, how much better it was before, that kind of thing. And they're developing this romanticized version of what their past was like. In particular, their past before Christ or their past before they stepped into a new level in God or their past before they left a sin habit or their, uh, you know, because again, like I say, sometimes when you leave certain sin habits that you were in with people, those people get real uncomfortable with that even if you're not uncomfortable being with them. You know, they'll get real uncomfortable with it. And sometimes, and it's just true. If we're going to keep going forward, we've, you know, we've heard this and said this for decades. If we're going to keep moving forward as Christians, we always are going to have to change people and places. You can't keep hanging out with the same people, doing the same things in the same places and grow. You just, you just can't. And you don't have to abandon everything at once and figure that out on your own. But 
just know that as you grow in God, things are going to change. And the thing is, this is what I was thinking about this morning. Over in uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, you know, he, he was talking, it started out with the story of the rich young ruler. And, and, you know, he said, what do I have to do to follow you? And Jesus said, you know, keep, keep the central tenets of the law. And he said, well, I've done all that. And, he, and to that individual, this isn't a mandate to everyone, but to that individual, because Jesus in his heart, he said, well, go sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. Because he knew that's where the guy's heart was hung up on being able to follow Jesus. And so the disciples were really freaked about that because all through the old covenant, a sign of God's blessing on your life was prosperity. And so they're like, well, then who can be saved? You know, we don't get this. We don't get what you're saying, Jesus. And, and they had this conversation, but then it comes down and Peter pulls this thing out and, and he says, well, you know, we've left everything to follow you. Some of the translations go into detail about we've left brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and lands and homes and you know we've left everything to follow you and maybe he didn't have that tone but that's the way I read it and uh, and Jesus says to him there's nobody who has left these valuable things relationships lands homes different you know they, it's a list of valuable things in the earth nobody has left that that it won't be returned to them a hundredfold in this life and with it eternal life, okay? In this life and with it eternal life. And the truth is that if we're paying attention, if we do leave, I've left some relationships behind to follow Christ, and it was hurtful, but, and it wasn't a fight. I'm not talking about that. It just, you just go on, you're on different paths. Believers and unbelievers are on different paths in life. And so when that happens, it can, you can miss that friendship or whatever, but you know what? God's given us relationships that are deeper and stronger. Did that person come back? No. But he has given us relationships that are deeper and stronger and more relevant and more satisfying than the ones we left. And he will do that. If you have to leave a place, God will settle you in a new place that you'll love even more. He promises to do that. So when we leave something for the Lord, we're not leaving anything of value. And that's a question I have for you this morning. Again, I am just, I might as well forget my notes. I'm so far ahead of myself. But that's a question I've been asking myself too. What did you leave of value to follow Christ really? Really? What of value, of eternal value, of something that, filled with the life and the presence of God. What did we leave behind to follow him? Most of us didn't leave anything of real value behind. And even our whole life, it's like a lot, for a lot of us, you know, I know there are probably a few of you out there that got saved when you were four years old and you grew up in a Christian home. And I'm not making fun of that, by the way. That's wonderful. Goody for you. But, but for most of us, it didn't happen that way. And we came somewhere later in life and, and we'd been living in a way that was, you know, we know now it was dead. And I mean, for a lot of us, you know, we're, we're working some job and we, there's no, we don't have never come to understand that in our work, there is this functioning of, of the spirit of God in our, what we would try to call a secular job. There aren't any secular jobs for Christians. You are out there in life 
bringing the Spirit of God into some place through your work, you know, and and so it has a new meaning. I mean, you know, when I used to carry furniture into a truck and stack it up, it didn't mean much to me, okay? But it wasn't because I was carrying furniture into a truck and stacking it up. It was because I hadn't committed that part of my life to God yet. I hadn't given that part of my life. I didn't understand that that part is just as sacred as this part. So most of us, I mean, at least I can speak for myself. I mean, there's a long period in my life where I basically lived for Friday night, you know? I, I lived for partying on the weekend. I lived to get done with work on Friday night, and I drove a Volkswagen Bug back then, and you know, the engine's in the back, and you open the trunk, and I kept a big cooler in there, and after work, and you get paid, and you go to the bank, and then you go, and you fill the cooler with beer, and that's the weekend, you know? And I mean, that was, I, I, I can't look back on that and say I left anything of value behind, okay? But sometimes we feel like we did, and, and people can get really caught up in that uh, and begin to go backwards in this. And again, we have a bad habit. Let me tell you this story, and then I want to move on. We just have a bad habit of remembering the good parts in, in an inordinate way and forgetting the pain and the emptiness and the futility of the life that we lived. And honestly, I think we get used to living in the grace and favor of God, and we start to take it for granted, just like I take these mountains for granted. It's sick. We drive up the valley, and... And it's like, every once in a while, it'll hit me. You know, I am not even seeing this anymore. And people work their whole year to come and look at this for two weeks. And I get to look at it every day, and I need to be grateful for it. It's the same thing with the grace and favor of God. We kind of get, you know, immersed in that, and we kind of forget. It's way different than it used to be. It's, it's just way different. But we have this habit of remembering things especially in the face of current hardships. I have a, a brother and his wife, brother and sister-in-law, that well, with all of us, I mean, just quick background in our family, they, uh, they moved from all the other kids but me were born in Michigan, and then they moved to Albuquerque for a number of years in the 50s. This was back in the 50s. Then they moved to Boulder. I was born in Boulder. I don't even tell people that anymore. I was proud of that growing up, and now it's like, oh, I don't know where I was born. They didn't tell me. <laughs> but anyway, I was born. It was a different place back. Front Range was a different place. Anyway, so in about 1960, I guess, they moved up to North Dakota. My dad was a doctor. He couldn't even make a living in Boulder. There were so many. It was that place that everybody was trying to move, you know, at that time. And uh, so he went up there. He loved it up there. He, you know, the things that he liked to do is fine up there. He had great practice and lived his whole life there. All of us, except for one brother who still lives up there, um, went back. As soon as we'd get out of either high school or college, whatever they did, we'd head back to Colorado because the things we wanted to do were here. They were not there. There were the area we lived in, totally flat, no trees, no, no mountains. All the roads go straight north and south and straight east and west every mile is another road everything's split into sections everything's farmed the wind blows all the time the winters are much more severe than what we have here the in the summers are much more hot and humid and the mosquitoes are this big it's a wonderful place to live so for whatever reason we all left and came back here and um, so I have a brother who lived here lived various places on the western slope for many years decades and married a girl that grew up here, was born and raised over around Hotchkiss, and they were living over there, and, and at some point, they, they always were getting themselves in financial problems and stuff, debt and things, 
making poor decisions. And a number of years ago when the oil boom was going on in North Dakota, my brother Tom all of a sudden decided that was the greatest place he had ever lived. And that people in Colorado were just mean and, and you know, just, oh, everything was terrible here. So they sold their property over there at the bottom of the market when everything was crashed, moved up there at the end of the oil boom when everything was super expensive, bought a place, had jobs for a while, but all that was crashing. And uh, now they're still up there. So I actually have two brothers up there. One likes it. Uh, but, but so they're up there. And after a few years, at first, it was the greatest place in the world. And we're thinking, Man, I wouldn't move back there for anything on earth, you know. Uh, but anyway, after a while now, you know, we're getting these letters about, oh, how much they miss their mountains. And, and they're motorcycle riders. And it's like, all the roads are just straight and flat. There's no curbs. And the wind blows all the time. And the winters are so severe. <laughs> I'm like, Tom, we grew up there. I remember this. Could, how could you possibly not remember this, you know? And if you want to live there, fine. But they got into this mentality that everything was awesome there. And everything, and so now they're reversing it, and they're probably starting to remember living here better than it actually was, too, because they, they had some challenges here like all of us do. So this is just human nature. It's what we do, but we need to really be careful with it when it comes to uh, our life with Christ. You know, Jesus said, let me just give you a few more scriptures. He said, take up your cross daily and follow me. That, that phrase doesn't mean take up his cross. His cross was the will of God for his life, leaving everything else behind and, and giving himself to the service that God had called him to. That was the cross was his cross. Our cross is the same thing. It's the will of God for our life. Take it up daily, daily, and follow him forward. Okay, that was, that was his instruction to us. So we take up the complete, we commit ourselves to the will of God daily, and we go forward with him. Paul said over in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he says he's talking about what Christ died to give us. All right, that's the context here. And he says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. That means taken full possession of it for myself. But one thing I do, I always love this, one thing, this is one thing, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. We can view that as two things. It's one thing. The way the Lord's presenting it to us here through Paul, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, that's one thing, okay? And, and we need to do that. We've got to leave the past in the past. And again, God's not saying, don't remember your past here, all right? We can learn from our past, and we should, right? If you don't study history, you're going to repeat it, right? We should learn from our past. No question about it. That's a godly thing. But don't romanticize it. Don't go back to it. Don't carry it around in your thinking every day and chew on it and think, oh, it was so perfect. Then why did you leave? Why did you leave that life? if it was so great, and be so thrilled about coming to Christ at the time because you walked into this new life and it was so awesome, right? So he says, 
I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And in Galatians 2.20, Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the point there is that that old person is dead. I was crucified with Christ and I'm in a brand new life. And when it gets tough, I just need to, rather than start thinking backwards, because then you're going to go backwards. Instead, I need to press into the Lord. I need to let him restore hope, which pulls us forward. I need to hear his vision for my life again, which he seems to be saying to us today. I need to, I need to hear that vision. I need to hear it stirred up. We've watched people walk away from... Or let me say this, I'm not in the, this that I'm about to say, I'm not talking necessarily about losing your salvation, walking out of your salvation, giving up on Jesus. I'm talking about stopping forward progress, stopping becoming stagnant, uh, no longer growing in God. We've watched people do that because the Lord was calling them to forgive somebody and they, they could not, they, they were unable to forgive or didn't, honestly, they didn't want to forgive that person, because God will work that in us. We've watched people do that because they weren't getting a, a certain recognition or position that they wanted uh, in life or in the body of Christ, and they, they gave up on God. We've seen people who didn't want to let go of a sin that was really destroying their life, but they didn't want to let go of that, and so they stopped going forward with God. We've seen people uh, do this because they didn't want to live where God was calling them to live. We've seen people do this because they didn't want to go to the school that God, God had, had started calling them to go to a different school than they'd always thought they were going to go to. And they said, no, I'm going to go to the school I'd always planned. And they start living out of what they'd always planned instead of where God was calling. We've seen many, 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 many varieties of this where people stop moving forward, they, and particularly because they look back at something, they, they, they think, well, that was better. It was easier to live when I wasn't trying to forgive this person. It was easier to live when I wasn't having the challenge of, of having to get my brain around going to live somewhere I didn't intend to live, you know, et cetera. It can be, it can be just, and it doesn't even have to be something negative. Um, in John chapter 6, we have this record of people, Jesus came and called them to a new level of commitment and understanding, and, and he did it in a challenging way. He said, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, he had a meaning behind that, which he explained later, but a whole bunch of people turned and wouldn't walk with him anymore because of that, because of that, because he called them to something else and they said, that's too hard. We're going back to where we used to live. Is this making sense to you? So, so this is, this can, we get familiarity is a, it's a, it's a draw to, it's an, and it's an addiction to a security in what we already know. All right. And it can hold you in place. It can just hold you in place. And, and sometimes, again, we go back to this life that was so bad, we left it to find Jesus. I mean, we left it behind. Let me give you one verse on that, and then we've got to jump over to Luke real quick. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Most of you will know this. It says, of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. And this is talking about people that come along and, and at a point, they leave where God is taking them and they return 
to that old life, to that thing that was destroying them. They return to that life, to those associations, to those uh, to that situation that was destroying them. And what you just have to remember in this situation is you're not a pig, okay? And you're not a dog. You're a child of God. So it's not good to go back and wallow in the mud of the past. It's not good to go back and eat your vomit, what you vomited up, okay? See, I like to say that kind of stuff because you'll remember that this afternoon when you're eating lunch, all right? Let me give you this real quick. If I can go through this real quickly. I know it's 11 o'clock, but I don't think it was my fault today. I've only been teaching for 30 minutes, so. Um, let, me, let me just give you this passage over in Luke chapter 5. Let me, because the Lord showed me this this week. I'd never thought of this in this way. And, uh, you know, for some reason you really need to leave. If you've got to be at work or something, feel free, no problem. But I, I really feel like it's important to give you this today. Luke chapter 5, verses 37 through 39. Jesus, of course, said this. He said, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Now, we, there's a lot of discussion in the body of Christ about new wine. It, it speaks of our salvation. It speaks of the activity of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the issue with new wine is that it's still fermenting. And they would put the wine into skins. And those skins, those outer containers of the wine that was still fermenting, needed to be flexible so that they could expand as the wine progressed and, and uh, fermented. Okay, And those wineskins over time would get old, meaning they got dried and they got cracked and they got hard. They weren't flexible anymore. And so if you took that old hard wineskin and you put the new wine in the inside, it would expand and it would, it would break the wineskin. And the way that they renewed those wineskins was to soak them in oil. They put oil in them, and oil always speaks of the Holy Spirit. So we have this picture that Jesus is giving us of when we get something fresh from the Holy Spirit, it's going to come into our lives, and it's going to develop. It's going to expand, and it's going to require change on our part. And if we become rigid and dry, okay, then it's going to be destructive to us. And what's ultimately going to happen is the wonderful treasure that God gave you in a fresh revelation is going to end up getting dumped out of your life back onto the ground. You're not going to be able to contain it. You're not going to be able to grow with it. And it's going to get, ultimately, it's going to get wasted. It's not going to do what God sent it into your life to do. And honestly, God is a good steward of the things of God and of us. And he's not going to just continue to pour his fresh stuff into our lives if we're going to insist on our old outward life and our old ways. He's going to keep loving you and he's going to keep trying to pour oil into you to where you become pliable in his hands, which is what needs to happen. We need to be pliable. We need to be flexible. The outward part of our life needs to adapt itself to what God's doing on the inside, not the other way around. God's not there to conform to our old lifestyle. Our life is to be conformed to his image. Does that make sense to you? So, there are two words that are translated 
new in this passage. The first one is about new wine, and it means new in time or recently arrived or acquired. So this is talking about fresh activity of the Holy Spirit in your life, a fresh word from God, the things that he's speaking to us, okay? It comes from a root word that means to move briskly, to agitate vigorously. Okay, so again, the, the image is of this wine that's still fermenting. It's still working. And when God speaks to us, that's what happens. It, it, what he says works in our heart and it develops and it, and it changes us. It has an impact on us. So that's the, that's the first word. And then when it talks about new wineskins, that, that the new wine needs to be poured into new wineskins, that means new in quality wineskins or, or renewed by being soaked in oil, okay? Again, soaked in the Holy Spirit, transformed by the Spirit of God's work in our life. It, it speaks of a wineskin that's been made supple, that's been made usable again, all right? So when he, when he talks to us about this, the idea is that as he speaks, that fresh activity comes in, it begins to work its way into us and out through us, all right? And, and we have got to spend time with him and time in the Spirit of God to be sure that we're just pliable, we're usable, we're willing to change. We're not rigid, not stuck in our past ways. So we'll close with this. So Jesus says down there in verse 39, he says, no one after drinking old wine, wants the new, for he says the old is better. Okay? So here's, here's the deal with that. This term old, first of all, means something that was long-standing in our life, something that was familiar, something that was comfortable or established or worn in. Okay? So it's what we're used to. And and. It's so interesting what he says here. He says, no one after drinking old wine. Okay, so we're getting established in something. It's longstanding. We're in what's familiar. Wants the new. All right, in the, in, in the original language, here's what that says. No one after growing accustomed to the old wine immediately wants the new. So in other words, we tend to resist the change that the Spirit of God is bringing. We tend to hang on to what's familiar because we have security there. We tend to not take risks that God is calling us to take. And, and it's interesting because he doesn't say that people want the old wine because it is better. He says they want the old wine because they think it's better. They say it's better. He doesn't say the old way of doing things is better. He says the person's not going to want it right away because they think it's better. They say it's better. That's that tendency in all of us to want to resist change, to want to stay in the familiar. And I talk to you all the time about being grounded, being steady, being uh, having roots, right? Being rooted is a huge principle in the Scriptures. This doesn't mean we change everything every minute all the time. This means... We allow God to pour new things into us 
And we allow those things to transform us, to grow us, to change us, to move us into his future. We don't get so rigid and holding on to something old that he's wanting to change. That, that the new thing he brought in, that we just break and that new thing just gets wasted and poured out and never does its job in our life. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to have roots. We're not supposed to have principles and values. But all of that, all of that being rooted, the reason we're rooted is because our roots help draw the life of God into our lives so that we can grow and produce fruit, right? And the, the whole thing about new wine, why is there new wine? Why is there new wine this year that wasn't here last year because some orchard produced fruit? New wine is the product of fruit. Okay, so there's a lot to think about in that little verse right there. But what I want to pray for us this morning is just that all of us would just be, while we're being established in the things of God, we not get into the addiction of familiarity. That I'm, I've got to stay where I'm comfortable. I, you know what that, you know what that really is, is a lack of trust in the Lord who wants to carry you forward. He's not going to shove you into new stuff. He's not there to shove you into new stuff. He wants to walk into it with you. Okay, let's pray. Father, I just thank you this morning, Lord, for this truth, and I pray, Father, for all of us that we would have a right understanding of our past. And the things that you have delivered us from. Father, we saw where Israel came out, Lord, and they prayed for a hundred years for you to deliver them out of Egypt. And then after you did, they said, man, it was better in Egypt. We had food there. Lord, we don't want to be that person. Father, we want to embrace the new things that you are doing in us and allow the words that you are breathing into us and the activity of your Holy Spirit to transform our outward lives as they transform our inward lives. Father, we don't ever want to be deterred from trusting in you. We don't ever want to be set back. We don't ever want to get stuck. And Lord, I pray for anybody in this place today who is stuck. And I just pray, Father, that if, if our mind is in something from the past and thinking it was so great, I just pray, Father God, that you, anytime we, if so, I just feel it so strong. Somebody's stuck in an image about a time in their past that you, Lord, would gently pry them loose and turn their eyes to what you have for their future, which is far greater. We thank you for that this morning. Thank you for that leading and that guidance forward in you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. All right, did you get something out of this? Hope so. Let's pray together. You guys can go ahead and stand up, why don't you? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just give you ourselves. We give you our lives afresh today, Lord. We ask you to come in and do all that you want to do. We choose right now to treasure the things that you've spoken to us as we go out today and we go out into this week, Lord. We believe you have equipped us for what is coming in our future. And Lord, we go out into this earth and this community that you have given us stewardship over, Father, to bring life, to speak life, to bring the life, the joy, the power, the presence of Jesus Christ into our community. We accept that assignment. We thank you for doing it in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's say it on the count of three. 
that Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world will be dismissed. There's great snacks out there. Pick up your trash afterwards, please. And we got a lot of visitors. Some of you have been here, you know, people have been around for years and you're visiting today and others that are new. So definitely get to know some people. Okay. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.